this is Maria Spear Alice from Spear IP, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Hey everyone, real quick, I want to take a moment just to tell you a little bit about Clarity. Clarity is a powerful tool that allows you to organize, optimize, and update your blog content for maximum growth. One of the most powerful ways bloggers are using Clarity to make their content better is through the use of projects. You can think of projects as groupings of your content that need similar updates. They help you make data-driven task lists for each of your posts. Some popular projects that bloggers are currently running with Clarity are old posts that need to be no-indexed or deleted, seasonal posts that need to be refreshed or pushed to social, full revamps for old posts, broken link fixes, posts to reshoot, adding alt text, and top posts health checks. Projects are at the heart of how bloggers are using Clarity to add extra value to their blog posts to maximize their traffic. If you are interested in learning more and potentially becoming an early adopter of Clarity, you can go to clarity.com forward slash eblogtalk to sign up for the waiting list and receive 50% off your first month. Go to clarity.com forward slash eblogtalk or check out the resources page on eblogtalk.com forward slash resources to learn more. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 369. I have Maria Spear Alice with me today. She is going to talk to us about two ways to protect a recipe. Maria Spear Alice is an attorney bringing peace of mind to content creators when it comes to IP protection, contracts, and internet law. Her goal is to help her clients before it hits the fan so that if setbacks happen, they'll bounce back faster. When Maria isn't hammering away at a copyright issue or recording a YouTube video, you can catch her dancing to Motown hits with her two sons cooking with her husband, learning about herbs and medicinal plants, or hollering at her dog to get down from the couch. Your life sounds very similar to mine, Maria. (laughs) That's so funny. How old I have, before I prompt you for your fun fact, how old are your boys? My boys are one and four. Oh my goodness. So much fun. Oh, (laughs) my boys are the same age apart in years. So they're three years apart as well. And it's been so fun. Mine are now 12 and 15. So they're a little older, but oh, it's such a journey. You're going to love as (laughs) they grow and get older. Okay. So we want to hear what your fun fact is before we dig into protecting a recipe. My fun fact is that I have been around food my whole life. My my parents are entrepreneurs and my grandparents before them and my great-grandfather before them, my family is Greek-American. And so food has been a gigantic part of, of my life. Oh, good. So this kind of ties in with your background in law, but also protection of recipes. So that's really cool. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how your story has evolved with food and becoming an attorney and all of that before we get into the specifics? Sure. I'd love to tell my story. So I gave you a little hint of of my background and uh, my parents have a coffee roasting and wine di- distribution business and of course work with restaurants. And so I've been kind of in that world my whole life. Vacations are planned around food. Everything is planned around food. It's the best, best stuff oh. of life, right? Yes. So it's funny because my husband obviously married into my family and he has now adopted the habit with 
when we're on vacation, which is when we're eating one meal, we're talking about the next meal and where we're going to go <laughs> and what we're going to have. So food has been a big part of my life and music has also been a big part of my life. I started, you know, my technical training is as a voice performance major in college and I wanted to stay in kind of that creative sphere, but in more of a business context. And that's what took me to law school. But fast forward till now, I've had my practice for seven years. I've been practicing law for 12 years. And more than the music side, I just love the the creative side and and especially businesses online. And as I'm sure you can guess, you know, especially those who operate in kind of the food and and wellness spaces because because I just love it so much. Yeah, I love how all of your interests kind of tie into each other, which I think is rare, but awesome, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then also I was going to ask you, do you have a podcast? Because you have the most amazing speaking voice ever. Oh, if you don't, goodness. you should. <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually in the process of launching a podcast. It'll launch in January. Oh my gosh, awesome. And what is it going to be about? It's going to be about having a business as a woman and kind of dialing into the little habits that actually fuel the productivity and the growth of your business, basically tending to your mind and your body as a way to grow your business. Oh, I will tune into that for sure. And that's amazing. <laughs> Do you have a name for it yet or is that to come? I don't. I was just actually, I, you know, I had my lunch and I took a little 10 minute walk and was kept brainstorming different names and I haven't landed on the perfect name yet. You'll know when it comes. It'll hit you and you'll be like, there it is. <laughs> Eat Blog Talk is a great name. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is one that like it came to me. My best ideas come to me when I'm like half asleep. I don't know if that's weird or not, but <laughs> be like in the early morning hours or like right before I fall asleep and I just get these great ideas and that happened. I was like, I know I knew I wanted Eat in the name and it just like came like I could see it I could see the logo which is strange mm. and it just I knew it I was like yep there it is I'm running with that all right so let's talk about recipes because we're talking to food bloggers so we create lots and lots of recipes and we don't give much thought I don't think to you know like how can we protect these or what should we be thinking through I guess so you have two ways to protect a recipe so we would love to hear you talk through those so there are two different ways, and it, it kind of comes down to the context. So if you are wanting to protect a recipe in the sense that you've shared something online already, in other words, it's not really a secret, you're a blogger, you're either posting a video or a blog post or something with the intent that someone else will make this, then it's a little bit different than if you have a secret recipe and maybe you, what is it, like the Neiman Marcus chocolate chip cookie recipe or <laughs> um, the KFC, you know, herbs and spices blend. Those are true secrets, although people might post not copycat, but imitation yeah. recipes. But if you're trying to protect a recipe that's out there, it's not really a secret, then what it comes down to is not the fact that you are creating the ultimate oatmeal chocolate chip cookie recipe or your favorite plant-based pesto recipe. It is the details of what make it unique to you. Because you might go on Pinterest and search for 
oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and goodness. I mean, the number <laughs> of, of oatmeal chocolate chip cookie recipes is overwhelming. So it's not that you could stop someone necessarily from creating their own version of an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie recipe. It's the fact that your brand name might be tied to your version. Your photos are certainly original to you. So, you know, taking as many photos as you can, putting them in your blog post, editing your video in a way that has your personality, your brand style. And then the last thing to remember is, and, you know, pop culture, you know, people get annoyed with all of the storytelling that can go into a blog post. Well, that's actually what's truly protectable about your recipe. It's not the pure instructions. The Copyright Office has said, we don't really care about just basic instructions. That's not quote unquote creative enough to protect a recipe. But when you go into the details of where it came from, where you're sourcing your ingredients, the little trick that you developed when you're creating this culinary masterpiece, all of those little unique things, those are the protectable parts of your recipe. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, we get so much grief for going into the story or like why you choose ingredients or whatever it is about the recipe, but that's actually protecting us. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's another reason and another counter that we can use when people give us a hard time about it. Like I'm covering my butt here, so (laughs) back off. (laughs) So can I ask you about ingredient lists because I know I've heard that too like it's not copywriting if you have not infringing any copyright if you just list the same ingredients and have similar instructions because you use the example of oatmeal cookies and like there's only so many ways you can make that so obviously we're going to have most of those same ingredients and that's fine yes that is fine ingredient lists are specifically something that are not protectable under U.S. copyright law. Because like you said, there are only so many ways, so many different combinations, so many different, you know, amounts of, of, sure. of ingredients that, that can go into something. So an ingredient list is, is considered too factual to okay. be copyrightable. And same with instructions. I mean, we all word things, I feel like a little bit differently, but what if it is worded exactly the same from one recipe post to another one? Yes. I I hesitate to say, yes, go ahead and use the exact same instructions because remember that, that uniqueness, that, that storytelling aspect to it. I wouldn't want someone to go out there and copy someone's story to the extent that's kind of woven into the instructions. But if we're talking about pure instructions, crack the egg and scramble it, those pure, pure instructions, again, are too factual to be copyright protectable. Okay. So interesting. Is there anything else about that before we move on to your second way to protect a recipe? I don't think so. I think that, you know, again, something to keep in mind is the more unique you can make the recipe to you, the stronger your protection. Okay. And that includes the post and everything, like you were saying, like the video and the photo and the stories and all of that. Yep. Okay, cool. I like that. And I think everyone listening will like that as well. Let's take a really quick break to talk about a service I'm really excited to share with you. 
As a food blogger, you've got so much on your plate. You are busy developing recipes, taking photos, writing posts, managing social media, and all of the other things. You work hard to help your readers live a more delicious life. Even though you enjoy working in your business, I think we all do it because we love it, your to-do list is probably a mile long. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe there are certain things you'd rather not deal with, such as writing. If writing is not your cup of tea, you do not have to go it alone. Heather Eberly is a content writer for food brands. She uses copywriting and marketing techniques to grow your business so you can focus on doing the things you love. If you want to gain Google traction, stand out from the crowd, and take your income to the next level, Heather can help you. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to get more information about Heather's services. Again, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources and click on Heather's link. And now let's get back to the episode. Okay, what is your second way to protect a recipe? The second way to protect a recipe is in that secret sense. So people might have heard the term trade secret, and that is purely to protect a secret recipe. In order to have protection under a trade secret, it has to be secret. So this may or may not apply to in the food blogger sense, because again, you're putting it out there for someone to recreate. But to the extent that, you know, one day you go, you go out and create some kind of prepared food product or a seasoning blend or something that you are releasing under your brand, if there are aspects to that that are incredibly unique that you want to protect, then remember to use confidentiality agreement or NDA or something that keeps the secrecy of that special sauce a secret. Mm. And I do know quite a few food bloggers who do create like spice blends or sauces or oils or things like that. So just really doing the background investigating to make sure that nobody finds out what goes into it is what you're saying? Yes. And to the extent that you're working with, you know, a manufacturer or, or anyone is helping you in any way, you want to make sure that there's kind of that chain of contracts for lack of a better way to put it to make sure that these people are all bound to keep that recipe secret. Good to know. I don't plan on going into that space, but I know a lot of my listeners do. Like that's part of their plan. So I think better to think about that on the front end than to get to the point where you're like, oh no, I didn't think about that, right? Right. Having to backtrack. I have a question for you about copycat recipes. Mm. So I know a lot of us do like, what's an example? Like P.F. Chang's Mm. Mongolian beef. I have one of those on my blog. And I didn't actually go get the secret recipe from P.F. Chang's, but I made a Mongolian beef and tweaked it so that it tastes very similar to theirs, but maybe like a little healthier version. What I mean, are we putting ourselves in trouble at all with stuff like that? So it's almost like fan art. If you, in the like the 2D art sense, where you see people who have run off with, you know, Harry Potter art or Game of Thrones art. I don't know why this is all fantasy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it happens a lot in the art sense. And technically, can they do it? Technically, under copyright law, you know, that's that story, those characters belong to someone. But it's almost, are you going to bite the hand that feeds you and enforcing your copyright? Similarly here, I mean, There's a little bit of, I have a little bit of trepidation just because, you know, P.F. Jang's is a registered trademark 
And if you are putting a recipe out there using their name, even though it's, it might be very clear that it's a copycat recipe, I have a little trepidation. It's not likely that they will go after you, but it's possible. Okay. So I, early on in my blogging career, I've been a food blogger for 12 years now. And really early on, like I would say a year or two in, I received an email from Mars Corporation and they were like, hey, we noticed you have a, I believe it was like Snicker, um, what was it? Copycat or not copycat, sorry. It was a Snickers fudge recipe on my blog. Is that right? Mars and Snickers or it's my Twix. It was one of the two. Um, I have a copycat or I keep saying copycat. I don't mean that Twix brownie recipe and I have Snickers fudge. So it was one of those, but they were like, you need to take this down within so many weeks or like uh-huh. we will pursue this. And it scared the crap out of me because <laughs> I'm like this small little blogger, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was an issue. So I immediately took it down and then like I called it, I don't know, candy bar fudge or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then years later, I noticed that a ton of food bloggers are using Snickers fudge, Twix brownies. So I you know, like, I don't know how to handle that. If they just ignored the emails, if they didn't get emails, if Mars Corporation was being selective with reaching out to just a select number of bloggers, but it's really a gray area that you don't really want to mess with, right? It's kind of scary. Yeah. And it could be, you know, a few years later, they threw up their hands and they thought this could be a full-time job, you know, looking through Pinterest and Google results for people who are using Twix or whatever it is. Who knows? Who knows what what their true motivation was, if it changed. But I agree. I I know what they're looking for is, is there some kind of, you know, with this recipe that's been posted, is there some kind of insinuation that we are sponsoring or affiliated Uh, with this post. So yeah, Yeah, there it is. That's probably what it is. Like there's some just, yeah, like insinuation that I would be working with Mars Corporation to create this copycat recipe or whatever. But yeah, like how do you discern that? Because there are so many variations of this fudge, Snickers fudge or Snickers, whatever. Yeah. Copycat Snickers bars or whatever. (laughs) I'm sure that's out there too. But their copycat recipes are very trendy and it's something that you can get a lot of traffic from because they're so specific. And I know that there are entire food blogs dedicated to copycat recipes. So I wonder if they've, I'm sure they've experienced this on some level. I would have to believe that. I would think so, especially if the entire platform is based on, you know, copycat recipes. Right. Is there anything else that we should be aware of when we're thinking about protecting our recipes, creating recipe posts, anything along those lines? I think since we're talking about using someone else's recipe, the other thing to kind of be cautious of is, you know, of course, if if it's a restaurant type of recipe, but also if it's not, if it's Ina Garten's recipe on whatever it is, being careful how you're using someone's name, because again, Is it suggesting that you somehow have her stamp of approval, that she's affiliated with you, that she's sponsored something? So keeping that part in mind as well. So how would you recommend doing that? Would you reach out to the person first and get permission? Or would you say like pasta bake from, uh, I don't know, like a variation of Ina Garten's pasta bake? Or how would you word that? I think getting permission is always 
the most risk averse and the, and the safest way to go. I know not everybody wants to do that, but if you're looking for a little bit of security, then that's the safest way to go. If you're talking about kind of a cook the book situation, the same rules apply. It's just that I would be sure not to use any of the images from the book, any direct clips or excerpts from the book. Yeah. Just putting your own spin on it, making it yours in right. some unique way. Yeah. And maybe and maybe linking back to where you can purchase the book, you know, throw it, throwing a bone so that if someone were to come back and say, hey, we don't like this, you can say, I'm trying to support you. I'm trying to lead people to make a purchase, you know, backing up your claim. For yeah. And I think that is a recommendation from a lot of SEO experts in our space, too. They do recommend, like, if you mention, like my example earlier, PF Chang's, like, link to their website so that people know that, like, we we love PF Chang's. We're supporting right. them. We want to link to their content. Yeah. So it's just like a like a statement. Like, I'm not trying to steal this. I'm not a representative. I'm just supporting their delicious food. Something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else we should know, Maria, before we start saying goodbye? Oh, gosh. I think that something to think about when you, especially when you're talking about being a food blogger and having your platform is putting little protections in place on your website. I have some resources on my own website if anyone is interested, but, you know, having any disclaimers that you might require on your website, um, having a privacy policy, little things like that. Okay. I think that is, all of those are things that we're pretty good at. I think the ad networks that a lot of us are a part of recommend doing, and some of them require, like you need to have a privacy policy and all of that. The one thing that I know we've had, had issues with like collectively as food bloggers is images and people mm. taking images and doesn't yeah. necessarily re- apply to recipes, but just more blog posts mm-hmm. and protection there. Do you have any insights on image protection? My best advice in terms of image protection, because I can imagine that a lot of your listeners have just a ton of images. And so registering your images with the copyright office at, at one point, it's like, how do I decide what's the most important? And my answer to that is, it, to the extent you do content planning and you look over the past month or the last quarter and see what has done the best, what's had the most Pinterest traffic, what's been shared the most, that's where you start. You go back and see what has been shared the most because that, while it's you know great to go viral and great to have all that exposure, that also makes you that content more of a target. So looking back on the most popular content and considering registering those images with the Copyright Office. And the Copyright Office has a lot of really great tutorials that they mean for them to be user-friendly. So you can literally go and register those images yourself. So when you register an image, you have to do it one by one. You can't just do like every image on pippinebby.com. You've got to do it just individually. You don't have to do it individually. There is a limit, and I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, if it's 50 50 images or something like that, but you can do a group of photos together. Okay. Well, that's good to know. All right. Well, I don't know, unless you have something else about recipes or blog protection, we can start wrapping up. This was super helpful. I don't think we've ever covered this specific of a topic within like recipe protection before, so I think this will be really valuable. Yeah. Good. 
Well, thank you for joining me. And I'm really excited to listen to your podcast when it comes out. Will you send me an email and let <laughs> me know what's you. out? Sure, I will. <laughs> oh, awesome. I think a lot of my listeners would align with what you what your message is going to be. So do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with, Maria? You know, my favorite go-to is, and I'm going to paraphrase, but basically that life isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. And so everything from, you know, an unfortunate, you know, bump in the road. It's and and I attribute to this to Tony Robbins, who's like the king of of yes. self-help and self-development. But that's my go-to that life is happening for you, not to you. Oh, uh, and I feel like when you can really let that sink in and understand it, everything changes, right? Like your whole perspective on life completely changes. Yeah. I love yes, that quote. Absolutely. Awesome. We'll put together a show notes page for you, Maria. If anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash spear IP. Tell everyone again where they can find you online and social media, et cetera, Maria. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram mostly at spear IP law. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here and thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.